This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. One of my favorite leadership books is the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. And one of the discoveries he makes in his book is how the great companies were ones that found a way to continue growing and innovating year after year. And according to his research, one of the key ways these, quote, great companies did that was they were able to preserve the core while stimulating progress. Now, my question to you is, how can you do that in your organization? Well, my guest today has successfully implemented this into her leadership experience at the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Now, most of you recognize the name Ronald McDonald House, I would guess, but I have a feeling that many of you do not know the full extent of all that they do. Well, my guest today is the Ronald McDonald House Charities President and CEO, Kelly Dolan. You're going to really enjoy today's show. Well, Kelly, thanks so much for being on the show today, and congrats on the new role as president and CEO of the Ronald McDonald House Charities. Oh, thanks so much. So glad to be with you. Absolutely, you bet. Well, the Ronald McDonald House Charities programs help alleviate some financial burdens for families with sick children. Uh, In fact, what I'm impressed with, as I've done a little research about what you do, you help families save nearly $772 million dollars. I'll say that again for our listeners, $772 million in hotel and meals expenses. And so as I think about this podcast, you were dedicated to leadership in the nonprofit sector specifically. So talk about as you've come into this role, it's a large organization, obviously, you're doing a lot to help a lot of families, but you've come from other roles, of course. What has been the biggest leadership challenge so far on the job? You said about six months so far. So talk about that maybe. What has that transition been like? And again, what are the biggest challenges you're facing right now? Sure. Well, first of all, I I think it's important to understand that I came from within the organization. So Ronald McDonald House Charities, and particularly with our phenomenal global board of directors, were very careful in succession planning. So I, I was formerly in the role of chief marketing and development officer for the charity and had that role for about three and a half years. And so this was, I am the wonderful and grateful beneficiary of a terrific succession plan. So that always makes life a lot easier as you are transitioning, because first of all, you know the organization already. As an officer, you know the board members of, you know very well. So a lot of the hurdles that a lot of folks have coming in new to an organization in a CEO role, I luckily have been able to um, to not have those as challenges. So, so really, it's been quite a seamless transition, and I think that's a great lesson for everybody listening: is the importance of succession planning and really taking a look at at your your talent and how you are growing that and and finding ways to promote from within where possible. Uh, certainly, at a CEO role, you sometimes certainly need to go outside an organization. But uh, the value of that, I think, um, we're all so busy in the nonprofit sector that we that that area around succession planning and people development, you're probably going to hear me mention this a few times around people development, I think is critical that we need to be doing that and we need to be training our folks. 
But in terms of the challenges coming in, I think just for almost anybody listening, but particularly people in positions of leadership is prioritization. There is so much, there is just so much good to be done. And I keep laughing with my, my teams and saying, it's, it's all good. It's just a lot of good. And we laugh and, you know, and it's that proverbial good problem to have, you know, that everyone laughs about. But then at the end of the day, it really is challenging. Um, so I think it's really understanding in this role, um, how I exponentially impact the organization that my choices in this role, what are the choices that I have that are, again, invested in our people to make sure that I'm having the greatest impact and that, that that has an exponential effect. Everything I do should have an exponential effect in this role. And then, of course, as, a, as the leader of the organization and the nonprofit, my number one is to amplify our board, ampl- amplify the impact of our board. And so we have, a, as I mentioned, a terrific global board. We have folks that have been involved in the organization for a long time. We also have, as any good board should have, some new blood on our board. So making sure that we are really looking at the highest, best use of of our board and how that can best um, help us grow and strengthen the organization. So I think those are really the, the areas. It's around prioritization and developing people, having exponential impact through that, and then and then really amplifying the power of the board. I love all those things. I think I'd like to get back to the board in just a bit, but I want to go back to what you started talking about a a little bit earlier about the succession planning and uh, from your experience, because we've had guests before on the show talking about succession and how difficult that can be, particularly the larger the organization, the more difficult it is to find the right fit from your experience. I know it's been a short time, but would you say uh, if you were to write a book about this, that you would lean towards as much as possible hiring from within when it comes to the ED, regardless of the size of the organization or what have you found so far? I think it can really vary, but I think it's, you know, if you've met one organization, you've met one organization, right? So you have to be very careful about making kind of broad stroke generalizations. But I think what I'm saying around succession planning is that, especially in large organizations, there is a lot of talent. And there are a lot of folks at all levels that need to be coached and they need to be mentored and their talents need to be mined. And I think that what my experience has been, and I'm not going to say how many years in nonprofit, is that we, we as a, an industry are always so stretched thin and under-resourced in staffing. And so it is always catch as catch can. It's learning on the fly. It's running hard. And I think in larger organizations that have a little more of the bandwidth to be able to do some of those people development programs and to really do that mentorship, that's where you can mine the talent, right, from the inside and you can grow it. So, but even at smaller organizations, my last role as executive director of the Atlanta Women's Foundation, we had a succession plan for that and it was a relatively small staff. And I hired our VP of development with an eye on her to eventually take my spot. And I was happy to hire that way. And you need to not be afraid to hire that way. You need to, you need to bring the strongest people in that you can bring. I always say that are smarter and better than me and bring them in and, and have them under your tutelage. And as I transitioned out of that organization, we had a beautiful transition with her in a succession plan. So even in smaller organizations, it can work. It's a little trickier because in smaller organizations, you don't have as many people. And so you may not have as many people to mentor and bring forward, but it also can be done. 
Well said. Well, good. I like that. Okay, let's go on a different topic because of you coming on. Now, you were part of the organization, so this may be a little easier than if you were coming from outside of the organization. But one of my favorite leadership books is the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. And one of the things he mentions is how certain companies can continue to grow and innovate year after year. And one of the keys he talks about from his research is that to do that is you have to preserve the core at one level, but you need to continue to stimulate progress is the term he uses. How have you preserved the core of the Ronald McDonald Charities, but at the same time, add more progressive ideas and stimulate progress at the same time? Well, I'll tell you what, it's funny that that you bring it up because we actually have what we call our three core programs. Uh, and that's how we, that's how we um, operate as an organization. So our three core programs, as you may know, are the Ronald McDonald Houses, the Ronald McDonald Family Rooms, which are um, in hospitals, and then the Ronald McDonald Care Mobile Program, which is mobile health programs. And so all of these programs are done on the local level. But they are our primary programs. So the we are in 62 countries and regions. So we are literally all over the world. And we most people know, especially in the United States, when they think of Ronald McDonald charities, they think of our houses and they think of a local house in their community. But we have, in addition to that, like I said, the family rooms and of course these mobile programs. But we are embedded on the community level. So what we do is we do medical feasibility studies in all of the communities in which we operate. We anticipate what the, what the healthcare needs are of that community, the pediatric healthcare needs. And we are prepared and we are, we are responsive to what's needed in those individual communities. And then we have in our programs, you know, we have creativity within a framework. So we have the core programs, but for example, in, areas that are uh, have high poverty rates, we have in those chapters, they've started individual programs called, for instance, house to home. So they realize that once a family leaves one of our Ronald McDonald houses, they don't have the resources to possibly continue to properly care for the needs of their child. And so we have programs where we help them with gas cards, we help them with grocery cards, we help them with setting them up with social services within their local communities so that we have a full continuum of care for that child and that family. So that's an innovation. That is not something that is prescriptive. That is not something where we say, you can only do at a Ronald McDonald house, you can only provide meals and a place to stay. We want to make sure that we are taking care of the entire family and we find innovative ways that best suit whatever community that we're in in doing that. So for us to continue our core programs as primary, we have high standards. We are very specific with our guidelines of how those programs are executed, but we encourage that kind of innovation. And as you can imagine, with that kind of innovation comes funding. So funders are delighted when they see organizations that are able to respond to the needs of the community as effectively as we do, and they get excited and they they get on board. So to me, that that innovation breeds more success, which brings more innovation. And so we are set up for the good to great and, and greatness, more greatness to come, to be sure. <laughs> I love that. That's good. And as a CEO, that's exactly the right answer, right? Yeah. More to come. No, I love it. Well said. 
Well, okay, another topic that's been really interesting is obviously the response to COVID, right? It's impacted all of us, and particularly with the nonprofit sector, I think, depending on what kind of mission you've had, it's particularly hit the nonprofit sector hard. Even while some humanitarian organizations, food pantries have received a lot of money, it's still been difficult. And one of the things I've talked to a lot of my guests about is kind of the uniqueness of nonprofits in general, and that, that is the nimbleness of nonprofits, the ability for most nonprofits, not all, but most nonprofits to pivot when needed, when there's a need out there in the community that is urgent and you don't have time to run it through a board and a six-month strategic plan process, you need to respond and pivot to meet that need in your community. Obviously, COVID falls into that category as a pandemic. So I understand Ronald McDonald uh, House Charities um, has done that. In fact, you were very nimble during COVID. You were able to pivot and serve frontline workers during the pandemic. In fact, I read that 115 programs were actually repurposed in order to serve the healthcare workers. So talk about that. How did you make that decision? And how did you go about implementing those quick changes and repurposing your programs? Sure. So I think in, for any nonprofit or any organization to be able to be nimble, you have to have a proper foundation. And that's what we had in place. So we had a foundation where we have a very close collegial relationship with all of our chapters. And so there is a trust that is built between our global office and all of the chapters. And we are in constant, and I mean constant, contact with those chapters. So communication is a major key. So we have these, we have these solid relationships in place. We have ongoing communication with them so that when something happens like this and we have to pivot, it is, we have the architecture and the infrastructure in place to do it. And then we also have the trust and the relationships that are in place so that when a decision's made, it's go. And it is not, you know, there is not a, there's not a great deal of hand wringing, wondering if this is the right decision. They feel confident through our ongoing, you know, long time trust building relationship with all of them that they know that we have the best interests of the charity in, at, in, you know, always in the forefront and that our focus is on taking care of as many children and families as we can. So uh, COVID is a great example. You know, as, as we all know, COVID hit different areas of the world at different times, especially, at, you know, at the beginning. And it has, it has um, waxed and waned in different areas of the world and it continues, right? So we are, again, in 62 countries. So when we went in and made changes about how we were adapting into the different circumstances of COVID, sometimes the changes that we had to make across the entire organization were more onerous in some in some chapters in some area of the world than others. But because we had that strength of relationship, they understood that we were working with the World Health Organization. We were working with the CDC. We had knowledge that not everybody had and that we were making these decisions. So same came true when we decided to pivot. So the when the family rooms, which are the in-hospital places where families can rest and get care while they're with their, their patient for the child with children in the hospital, those were a perfect opportunity. They had to be closed down because we had to follow the guidelines of the hospitals. The hospitals would not let, you know, families coming in. And, and so those rooms were vacant. They were open. They were available. So we worked with all of our hospital partners and we made those available so that instead of the families getting respite, um, as they usually do, the frontline workers did. 
they had a place to go when they were doing 24-hour shifts, when they were, you know, at their wits end. They had a place to go within the hospital where they could rest. They, we even have some overnight accommodations in some of those. Uh, so that was a terrific example of that. The other thing we did was our care mobiles is that a lot of those programs had to be shut down for, you know, for like everything. We couldn't go out. So we were able to, to turn some of those care mobiles. Actually, they wound up being warming centers in some locations where they were doing COVID testing. It also, in some center, in some places, they wound up being where well baby care was being done, vaccinations, where they p- parents didn't want to go inside hospitals, and, and uh, but they needed those vaccinations, so they wound up doing that. So the key is to, again, have that foundation in place. It's never going to work. You can't be nimble. You can't make quick and decisive and well-adhered to decisions if you don't already have that foundation of trust and that architecture in place. And I'm thrilled to say that we had that and that as a system, we really, we hung together as a team across these countries and we were also able to pivot and help folks during that crisis. We'll be right back. Hey friends, thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I want to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to encourage you to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with others. This will help us get this great content out to more nonprofit leaders just like you. Now, finally, if you want to get my monthly email update that contains more resources in addition to these episodes, it's really easy. Just go to my website at nonprofitleadershippodcast.org and simply type your email address in the top right-hand box, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. And this way, you'll never miss any of the interviews or extra content from this show. And if you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email me. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. I kind of hear maybe there's a book maybe in the offing here for you because that's fantastic. I mean, truly, number one, because you're just globally, you know, connected and you have so much of a wide reach that there's a lot of complexity to that. And well, I couldn't agree with you more on the idea that you had the infrastructure in place and you had the trust. And I think that is absolutely so critical. I'm glad you brought that up because I think you're right. I think you can't just say, oh yeah, let's be nimble. Let's make changes. And if you don't have the infrastructure, it could just blow up in your face and it could really go the opposite direction. So really, really smart. Now, obviously you've had a lot of extensive experience in leadership. You've had leadership in two global health organizations, as well as serving on some significant boards. Maybe talk about one or two of your most challenging leadership decisions. What happened and how did you navigate through them? Sure. So actually, the the most challenging one I had wasn't with either of the large global health organizations. It was actually with the, the Women's Foundation in Atlanta. I was the executive director for them. And really, when I came in uh, to that organization, they were trying to be all things to all people. And so there was a real lack of clarity 
in the minds of the marketplace about what exactly the Women's Foundation did, what their role was, but more importantly, what impact they were having. And so it was a beloved as many women's foundations and women's funds across the United States in particular, they're everywhere. They are filled with passionate women that have been fighting the fight in all areas for women in equality and in, and in, in uh, protection and in economic access. And so it was a longtime organization that was too broadly, uh, too, too broad and it's in, and didn't, and didn't have the focus that it needed. And so I came in and looked at it and had a board of directors and others on this call will recognize when I say this word, an advisory board, the lovely situation of advisory boards where you have dozens and dozens of people who are passionate, very often former board members with strong opinions, but may not have current information about the organization as, as much as they might. And so that was challenging. It was challenging to come in and say, we are no longer going to work in certain spaces and we're really going to focus on moving women and girls from poverty into economic security. And that's what we're doing. And we're going to do cohorts around that and we're going to measure impact and we're going to move forward on that. It doesn't mean that violence against women isn't important. It doesn't mean that equal access, you know, equal pay isn't important. All of those things are important, but we are a small, you know, we are, we are not a billion dollar, we are not a billion dollar foundation and we need to focus and measure and we need to bring people along in this and we need to be a convener around these issues. A lot of people would have thought that that was problematic and that there would, that there would have been a lot of pushback. And there could have been, but again, I come back around to communication and really having a clear modus operandi, making sure that your board is completely in sync with that kind of major change in direction. And then you can make a case. You can make a case to anybody. And you know, if you can't make that case, then you shouldn't be going forward. So I think that was to me a smaller, much smaller organization than, than some of the other ones I've worked in, but it was really effective. And it was a very tough, you know, sort of daunting thing to, to bring forward, but it really transitioned over, over a period of years beautifully. Well, excellent. No, well done. And what a good experience. And Again, I think my listeners can relate to that, the advisory board uh, and having to narrow your mission, make sure that mission drift doesn't happen. So really well said. Now, and it, it, can, it can and should be done. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. Good job. Just talk to Kelly, everybody. Just give her, we're going to get your information here soon so they can contact you. I will give you courage. Yeah, good. We're going to make sure we get your cell phone number if that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, okay. So now most of my listeners, from what I can tell, are leading in some capacity, whether they be a board member or mostly uh, they're on a nonprofit team, whether it be CEO or executive director or another role. What advice would you give them when it comes to leading in this new normal that we're living in now? And maybe it's, uh, you know, when you think about the most important leadership lessons you've learned during COVID that you could pass on then to them when it comes to their leadership role. Well, you know, First and foremost, you always have to maintain a cool head. I don't think that can be undercounted. There is a lot that comes at you in leadership roles from an external standpoint. And if you get rattled, your team will get rattled. So you need to have the kind of fortitude 
to be able to take in a lot of information, be solution oriented, and take emotion out. There's there's no there's there's no need for emotion. There's no need to to make a situation larger than it is. Make you know catastrophize a problem. You know to to really stay stay very even as you're as you are getting um, all of the information to make decisions and to continue to navigate in what you know with COVID. My my goodness, you know to say what is the what's what there there has to be a new a better word than unchartered, right? They're extraordinary. I mean, all the words that have been used and overused. But I think that's important. I think that's um, you know that that people need to see a calm presence, and it needs to be real. And and it's, so you need to be able to to manage calmly. But I think you know it goes back. Can I just say three words? Communicate, communicate, communicate. You know you cannot over communicate in in that kind of a situation. You just it, it's 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 absolutely primary. We we were doing weekly. A very specific communication to all of our organizational leaders all over the world and uh, multiple times a week at the beginning. And they were, so it's, it's important that people, that they also feel heard. So I think the other thing I would also really emphasize is empathy to really understand where people are. You may be calm and you should be calm in a leadership role, but recognize people's frailties and understand that they need to be heard. And that that you need to you you need to really listen and learn from their perspective and where they are because if you just run over them if you just you know make the assumption that they're just as they're just as solution oriented as you are at that minute you know it is it is not going to go well and and that same person an hour later or the next day could be quite different and so I think it's important to really. You know, it's such an overused phrase that I hear all the time, and sometimes I cringe at it, but to really meet people where they are, really understand where they are, and help them move to a better mindset. Uh, and so I think that's, that's an important piece of this. When, that, when we are challenged by these external factors, to really stay calm, really keep those lines of communication open. Make sure they know that you're making these decisions. Make sure they understand why decisions are being made. But also really, really listen. Be receptive and be be very empathetic in, in that. Do not, you know, the worst thing that you can do is start coming off as defensive. So make sure that it's a calm reception to what they're providing and honestly learn from it. Take take in Take it all in. And help it help it continue to inform you um, in your decision making. And I think if you do that, whatever you want to call it, a new normal, a new approach to business, a new approach to serving mission, if you do those things, there's a good chance you're going to be quite successful. Oh, good advice. Excellent. Thank you. Well, one of the best pieces of advice that I've received way back when I was an early leader, early in my leadership career, if you will was this, that good leaders are good learners. And so for you, I'm curious, what do you do to keep yourself sharp as a leader? Like what books do you read? What resources do you go to to use that have most impacted you in your ongoing leadership growth? 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you asked this question. I when I, I just, when I saw it, I thought this is the best question you can ask anybody because to me, this is the most critical, this is the most critical thing that you need to do as a leader is that you need to continue to broaden your purview. You need to, you need to read everything you can get your hands on. You need to read a daily, you know, you need to read, uh, you know, I read the Wall Street Journal. I love to read, you know, obviously books that are in our industry, you know, we, I go back, you know, 15 years ago, Richest Dan, when that came out and it turned everybody on their head and, you know, winner, you know, winners take all, I mean, all of those books that are, that are, that are philanthropy oriented to me is, you know, that's table stakes, right? We as leaders in the nonprofit community should be aware of those. We should be conversant in that. We may not, may not agree with it. I don't agree that just because you read a book now that's the new thing. In fact, I don't agree with that. I think a lot of this is just trendy, but you need to know, right? You need to, and you need to open your mind because you can learn something from everything, even if you don't agree completely with whatever approach is being taken. But I also really want, you know, I really have looked in those kind of the social scientist realm too. So, you know, reading things, you know, by Isabel Wilkerson, reading things by Robert Putnam. I mean, you know, Thomas Friedman. I mean, just really looking at looking at all of that so not just business but really societal trends and being being conversant in that and then the other i would say and this is a personal passion of mine i love biographies and i read tons of biographies and you know most of the time if someone has a biography they've accomplished something and i think it's fascinating to see all of the ways that people fulfill their creativity they fulfill their purpose and how they do it and and you read so much about what they have gone through to get there and one of one of my overused phrases is that you know whatever we do uh, you know, it's a 10 year overnight success. You know, I say that all the time to my team, but that's exactly what you see in these biographies. You see this, you know, this, this tenacity, people who achieve, that's something they all have in common. They hang in and they keep trying. And I think looking at all of those things, I'm also a huge, you know, business news person, as you might imagine. And I am a personal political junkie. I cannot get enough of information around politics and and I also, one last thing I would say is I tape and watch, not every day, but ET. I think you need to make sure that you're staying current with pop culture. And I think the older you get, and when you're older in leadership roles, you're not really staying conversant in everything. And I think just knowing that, having a broad range, just getting as much information as you can in all areas about society will continue to stimulate you and will continue to help you with ideas and creativity and also to understand what's motivating people, what the zeitgeist is that, you know, that is, that is, is around you and how you and your organization can capitalize on it. I, I think it's imperative that people do it. Oh, I couldn't agree with all that you shared. And I know for me and those who are listening that have kids, my kids help me stay a little bit tuned in to trends and what's going on, the zeitgeist, if you will, but really good advice. I think you're absolutely right, particularly maybe if you are on the older end of your organization, even more so to lean into that, to learn and to make sure you don't get out of touch. I think it's so smart. And I share your love of biographies. That's my favorite genre, actually, of uh, books because of all the reasons you mentioned. So 
Excellent. This has been a fascinating conversation. I have a feeling my listeners are going to want to connect with you. So how could they? What's the best way for them to connect with you and then learn more about your work and, uh, of course, Ronald McDonald House Charities? Sure. They can go to rmhc.org. That would be, they, have, they can learn everything about the charity. And, and through that, they can find me. And I would love, uh, love to chat with anybody. Love it. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show today. Thanks so much. Appreciate the opportunity. Hey, friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.